Here we go. Folks, this is your host Cameron Ivy of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host Cameron Ivy, and with me, as always, Mr. Gabe Gums himself. Gabe, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Can't complain. We have an awesome guest on today, Bobak Pazdar. He's the CEO and CTO at Acredo or Credo. I hope I didn't say that wrong. Acredo. Um, I'm sure Acredo. There you go. Um, thanks so much for coming on. It's my pleasure to be with you. Yeah, this is exciting. Let's just dive right into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, tell the listeners where you came from and. How you got to Acredo? Uh, sure. So uh, I started out uh, doing consulting work uh, for uh, some large organizations, companies like Citi, CSFB, UBS, Verizon. Um, and I spent a lot of time designing and implementing and operating uh, uh, large-scale global security infrastructure. and. Uh, through every one of the projects, I just looked at what we were doing, and uh, I thought that it did not make sense. Security, as we were delivering it, where you spend months uh, implementing a very granular product um, at a very high cost and burden, and then you know, a couple of years later, you were back at the same customer replacing it. Uh, and uh, constantly worrying about how things integrate together didn't make any sense. So I went kind of into my bat cave and uh, spent (laughs) some time trying to figure out what's a better way to deliver security. And uh, throughout that thinking process, I just came to the conclusion that security would be much, much better off delivered as a utility rather than delivered as one-off products that had to be piecemealed together, strung along, uh, where you have to go through uh, uh, determining the need for a product, going through the selection process and evaluation, uh, acquisition, implementation, integration, operationalization, uh, monitoring and troubleshooting, and then three to five years later, you were ripping it all out and um, uh, replacing it with something new. And along the way, you had to deal with uh, uh, many different products from many different vendors. And that, that uh, I thought, was really um, one of the biggest challenges with cybersecurity. So uh, throughout the process of uh, uh, going through my first gyrations of uh, uh, delivering uh, security as a utility, I uh, created a platform that delivered uh, 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 security uh, as a proxy in the cloud. 
it was really much more of a validation platform. And what, what was interesting is I went through and I did a demo for a gentleman named Jay Chaudhry, who, um, and I demoed this proxy in the cloud model. Uh, and uh, at the time he was CEO of uh, two different companies because, you know, Jay can't do anything small. Uh, he was the CEO of an email security company and a wireless security company. And uh, a few years later, it, uh, that concept really became the foundation of Zscaler, which I'm sure both of you guys know. But I, I did not believe in that model because I thought it was incomplete. It was uh, limited to TCP. It was limited to proxy-aware applications. It was uh, very unidirectional in its function. Uh, so I did not pursue that model. But uh, several years later, I started another company that... Uh, uh, delivered uh, firewall as a service from the cloud. Um, and uh, I had an exit from that company. Uh, and uh, recently that company was sold to Fortinet, if you guys are familiar with that name. Uh, and uh, one of the key reasons I exited from that company was because I saw how distributed, how mobile, how diversified, how hybrid infrastructure was becoming. And I wanted to really focus on that problem. And that's what led me to Accredo, to develop a platform that could sustainably deliver security for any of the many diversified technologies organizations have uh, from the cloud uh, for both access and application delivery infrastructure. Oh, thanks for breaking that down. A lot to take in there. I'm sure you've been through a lot as well and glad to see that uh, that you're doing well and, and it's pretty exciting because obviously, you know, SaaS is becoming more and more popular. Let's let's talk a little bit more about Accredo. You know, what does that look like right now? How how is everything going? How long you've had have you had that company and and where do you see the future of data privacy and security? Um, yeah, with, with regard to Accredo, things are going very well. Um, we had spent the last uh, three years developing a platform that could be a unified single platform to deliver security for any technology, regardless of where it is, uh, very simply. So our focus was to be able to deliver a global security infrastructure that uh, pretty much anybody who knows anything about IP addresses within an organization could roll out in mm -hmm. a matter of 10 minutes and make it much more of an on-demand model where uh, they can self-serve very much like AWS did for compute. Uh, so we've done that. And ultimately what it ends up doing is uh, it ends up uh, uh, delivering SASE secure access service edge functionality, which is the uh, which is the kind of latest craze within the industry. This whole model of moving to a utility-based security model by the industry, mm -hmm. and it, we've also introduced a new concept we call SADE, uh, secure application and data interconnect. Uh, um, if you look at SASE, SASE secures access 
to the application, but doesn't secure the application itself. Whereas Sadie secures the application as well. So ultimately, SASE plus Sadie uh, collectively add up to a platform that can secure end-to-end -end infrastructure with a single simple service. So, but, so that's what we've been doing with Accredo. So, but, but let, let me ask you a question. You could, we, we threw around a couple of uh, acronyms there, and I'm often guilty of this. Um, I, I'm a bit familiar with the SASE acronym, but I feel like it's still new in the security world. By the way, thanks for being our, our first guest this month. It is it is National Cybersecurity Month, so uh, mm -hmm. this is this is rather time. Um, what what is SASE? S-A-S-E, and what's the problem that it that it tries to solve for? Sure, SASE, um, uh, Secure Access Service Edge, uh, essentially delivers a secure channel for uh, sources. Sources could be devices, it could be users, it could be offices, uh, it could be third parties. It gives a secured channel to an application on the back end uh, to access. Ba basically, rather than organizations rolling out a whole VPN infrastructure and some of the traditional things they could do, they would roll this out as a service and it gives them uh, geographic diversity. It lets them turn it on as a service. It lets them not have to worry about scale issues or infrastructure issues. SASE essentially uh, provides a uh, software-defined WAN or SD-WAN um, that uh, uh, users can tap into on demand or sites can be connected to to be able to access the backend application. The problems that it addresses is complexity. The complexity of having to have different technologies for different security technologies for each of your uh, access technologies, access technologies like uh, networks or offices or uh, users or devices or some combination thereof. So that, that's the positive side of SASE. The challenge with SASE is that uh, whereas it um, addresses the complexity issue, it is still not delivered in a cost-effective enough manner to be sustainable and to be the de facto standard. That's one issue. Um, and the second part of it is that it is incomplete. It addresses the access challenge uh, challenges, but not necessarily the application delivery security component. So it secures access, but it doesn't secure your backend applications. Did that make sense? It did make sense. And so then you mentioned the alternative to SASE, namely your approach at solving this problem. And so we can break that down for us. Just kind of try and get as layman as we can here on it. Sure. So um, we've also introduced Sadie, Secure Application and Data Interconnect. Um, Sadie is actually complementary to SASE. Uh, 
And Sadie is to application delivery uh, uh, as what uh, Sassy does or Daisy uh, Sadie does for application delivery, what Sassy does for uh, access. So if you've got backend clouds, if you've got SaaS, if you have data centers, if you have API providers, um, if you have co-location facilities, uh, all of these are application delivery infrastructure. Sadie secures and connects those, and it is the um, uh, yang to the ying of uh, SASE, if that makes sense. And together, they uh, collectively end up um, uh, delivering a complete infrastructure as a service platform. I'm sense. not sure if that was layman enough, but uh, hopefully <laughs> it made sense. No, no, no. You, you're 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 definitely heading into uh, some uncharted territories, uh, which is why I wanted our guests to, uh, our listeners, that is to 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 get that that completely broken down view. These are these are both concepts in the infosec world that are relatively new and trying to address some older challenges in some very new innovative ways. So I wanted to make sure that that came across um, really well. Um, let's, let's stay in that lane and, and let's talk a little bit more specifically about what it means to, to create a great security company. You threw, you threw out some big names there at the top of the show that I'm sure most of our guests are, our listeners are familiar with Zscaler and so forth. Uh, and, you know, the, those folks have, have taken some innovative approaches in their time to, to really create a really great security organization. Again, being Cybersecurity Month, if I were looking to solve for the next set of security challenges out there, um, forget just creating the application, but what does it take for you to create a, a, an awesome security company that's going to meet those challenges? Uh, so you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot of great uh, cybersecurity companies out there. Uh, if nothing else, I would really uh, uh, try to position myself as a proponent for uh, organizations moving to a security as a utility model. And certainly Zscaler is one of those companies They've done a great job of executing and building a uh, 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 very robust brand uh, over the course of the last 10 to 12 years. Um, uh, our platform is fundamentally a little bit different, but uh, the key is that we are providing a variety of options that really suit different organizations based on their different needs. And uh, I would love to see folks move away from the product-centric approach to cybersecurity that I believe is disjointed, it is unsustainable, it is expensive, and it creates complexity. And complexity is the enemy of security. So to 
um, uh, move to layer in dozens and dozens and dozens of products, or even, uh, you know, depending on the size of the organization, a handful of products can be overwhelming and can create complexity. So all these same products that you have to piecemeal together and integrate and uh, operationalize uh, that are supposed to secure you also contribute to your insecurity by virtue of the complexity they introduce into the equation. So uh, I am a big proponent for uh, security as a utility and uh, by virtue of that, you get uh, uniformity and consistency across um, all of your different technologies, or at least all of your diversified users. Not all security as utility or security services can cover uh, the majority of your technologies, but at the least, you don't have to worry about keeping the lights on for the various products. So that, that's the first piece. What does it take to build a, a great security company? Uh, I, I would say it's the people and the culture. Uh, culture is absolutely key for me as a CEO, and this is my third startup. Uh, you get good people, you empower them, and you everybody is, especially in a, in a startup mode, everybody's on the same footing. Uh, I joke around and I say, look, everybody in the company has got FU rights to me, right? If you disagree, disagree. And um, that has actually saved us from implementing many, many bad ideas or ideas that were not necessarily thought through because somebody disagreed and we discussed it and we debated it and we may not have gone and move forward with their idea, but at least they saw something that was a flaw in your idea. And together you came up with something that was uh, uh, a much better path forward. So culture is absolutely key in engaging with uh, folks that are uh, smart and feel empowered and feel motivated. That's really uh, key for me. Uh, so many that's not necessarily how you build a great security company. Maybe that's just one of the approaches of building a good company that uh, of uh, really empowered people that can accomplish great things. Oh, that's excellent. Let's change gears a little bit. The show is privacy, please, but it is cybersecurity month. And we know we can't have privacy without security. Tell me what that means to you. Actually, I believe that privacy and security are diametrically opposed to one another. Um, security is bad for privacy. And privacy, uh, essentially security infringes on privacy. And uh, uh, privacy uh, really uh, obfuscates and um, uh, bypasses security. So I've always viewed those two as uh, a little bit separate and apart from one another. Um, for example, um, um, years uh, back, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, recall, but there was a uh, there was a uh, uh, incident where uh, 
there was a disclosure. I actually, I actually made the disclosure that I discovered a backdoor to uh, Verizon Wireless to uh, to the NSA and the FBI, and I actually testified in front of Congress with that. Um, my uh, contention was that it was unconstitutional because it represented warrantless wiretapping. Um, the NSA and the FBI argued that uh, first they denied having it, but they said that even if we did have it, we're doing it for security reasons. So they are saying that they wanted to infringe on our privacy to make us secure, while others argued that we'd rather take the risks um, uh, and be private than uh, secure. So, you know, different people can come in on different sides of that issue, but uh, privacy and security are really something you have to uh, take into consideration. All of this HTTPS that we're seeing is horrible for security. It's great for privacy, but it's horrible for security. Uh, when everything is encrypted, then uh, really the only um, way you can look at that content without going through very complex gyrations is uh, between the two endpoints, right? And now from a cybersecurity standpoint, when you've got a source and a destination that are encrypted, your first point of security becomes also your last point of security, which is the endpoint. So um, that is a ongoing challenge with cybersecurity. And at some point, people have to make the decision to um, forego a little bit of privacy to enhance their security. All the while, they uh, may assume some additional risk to ensure privacy. So first, I just want to tell our listeners, don't at me, okay? Go ahead and add the box. That's a hot take. That might be the hottest take I think we've had on this show to date. Agreed. Don't at me, don't at Cam. But I, we, we got to dig into this one a bit more. Because I don't think you're advocating for getting rid of SSL, right? Like, that's not, a, that's not your position. That, that is not my position at all. all right. um, my, my, my position is understand what the impact is yes. of encrypting everything because it's going to have an impact on your ability to secure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the perfect case is all the ransomware that's out there. It relies on privacy. It relies on privacy to get through and bypass the various gateways and really end up on your desktop. So it's key that people understand what um, encryption is versus what security is because they're two diametrically opposed things. And once you understand that, you can start making judgment as to what's more important, privacy, security, or what the right balance of uh, the two are. I think it's that right balance. And I, th I think what you're touching on is that when you're only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So if the only, so if all you're going to do is apply encryption 
to your privacy problem, then that won't solve for it, right? Um, and, and you're right, we've seen a lot of that over the ages where it's either encrypt the traffic, encrypt the files at rest, encrypt them in motion, encrypt them in use, et cetera. But encryption as a blanket mechanism for preserving privacy, you, you are, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you on that one. You folks can definitely at me on that one, right? Like uh, <laughs> that's not going to, that's, that's not going to address the, this, the, the underlying problem. Let me, well, let me... I, I, I'll give you an example. As an ethical hacker, I rely on encryption to make compromises, to achieve compromises. So when the, the communication is encrypted end-to-end, I rely on that because there is nothing that can look within that communication and determine the intent of that payload. And that's the distinction. You are now private, but not necessarily secure. But if you open everything up, now you're secure, but not private. And both of them really need to factor in in order to have an effectively uh, secure and private infrastructure. All right. So let's keep pulling on this thread. I am uh, I'm a consumer. I buy things at, say, Amazon, and, you know, when I shop there, my, my traffic's encrypted. So, you know, I could argue from that pers- perspective, I am secure in my communication between my host and their servers, but that doesn't address my privacy. What they do with my data, how they analyze my data, how they share my data, encryption's not certainly going to solve for any of that. So... I mean, where's where's the rubber going to meet the road in your mind with that balance that you're looking to strike between security and privacy? If, if you see them as being somewhat diametrically opposed, how do we strike that balance? Well, so when you're using encrypted communication between two endpoints, then it is the communication that is uh, private. May not necessarily be secure, but it is private. Um, they may terminate the communication on their side and then uh, decrypt it and then scan it, which is what a lot of organizations do when they're responsible for the application. But that does not ensure your security. It just ensures their security. So um, they are ensuring that their communication to them is private. And once it gets to them, that that communication does not have a uh, negative impact on their systems and their availability. However, they have the data and that becomes a horse of a different color because, Mm -hmm. uh, yes, the communication was encrypted, but your data is now theirs. And and, and the biggest culprit of that is Facebook. Uh, And when I say Facebook, I mean Facebook, Instagram, but WhatsApp, Uh, all of those organizations. Oh, go ahead, Gabe. No, no, I was just going to agree with that. There's there's still a long long privacy road for uh, social media to overcome. Well, there's a a lot of uh, challenges for social media to overcome. But Facebook, especially, uh, in that, um, you know, they are moving to 
a strategy where they're incorporating more and more IOTs as data sources for their uh, platform. They want to go from having uh, one or two data points, maybe your mobile phone and your, <clears throat> excuse me, your uh, computer, to having hundreds, if not thousands, of data points by incorporating a variety of uh, technologies uh, that are purpose-built connected devices, right? And that's why they've moved into the um, uh, communication uh, space where you they, they say, you know, we connect grandma and grandkids together with their uh, communication devices. Uh, they need access to content and they need data points uh, on you. Uh, recently, they filed a patent for a technology that determines um, how you are standing, where you're standing, and it uh, detects subtle body movements all through your phone and determines uh, if you're talking to someone and if you are, how well you know each other so that they can bridge the gap between your circles and, um, you know, essentially learn more and more about you based on your subtle body movements. So and that is the level of uh, detail that Facebook is collecting on you. So, so let's stay on that topic. And I want to go back to something else. But since we came to the Facebook topic, what does this mean? What does this mean from a privacy standpoint and a security standpoint uh, for consumers and, and companies you know, what's the agenda behind all of this? Well, I mean, we, what it means has become very, very clear that uh, entire uh, societies, entire economies, entire democracies are now at risk um, um, at the hands of folks that have not necessarily proven themselves to be responsible or even uh, uh, caring about some of the things that makes our society and our culture and our economy and our democracy what it is. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the case of uh, Facebook, uh, every time they uh, are discovered to be doing something else that is just utterly egregious, um, you know, they do the Mia Copa and, you know, and, and I tell you, I think Mark Zuckerberg's uh, apology track is just canned now. Yes, you deserve better and we will do better. And, and then, you know, it's just... Uh, it's just words. Yeah, just words. But uh, they, they're also a bit tone deaf. Uh, for example, they were trying to address the revenge porn problem. Uh, so their recommendation was send us your naked pictures so that we know what to look for. Uh, and we can... <laughs> was that really a request? Yeah. Yeah. That was their approach. And, uh, obviously people, uh, but, but, you know, that's what I mean by tone deaf. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just that, that I did just not know the bad idea. <laughs> What's that? 
it just seems like a bad. I don't want to send them my my fully clothed pictures, much <laughs> much less. Much less yeah. Could you imagine that library? I don't want to imagine it. I don't. I don't want. No, no. I, <laughs> I I've seen some of the people on Facebook. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, get a pass. It's a hard pass. Well, you know, and and anything you send to these companies, like I don't know if you guys have read Google's privacy policy, but essentially it says anything you store with us is ours, and we can use it for whatever we will. Uh, and then you see all of these companies are now storing their, um, you know, critical data on Google Drive or. Uh, you know, uh, it's concerning that people are trusting these organizations when there is a track record of um, uh, of uh, there's a track record that they should not necessarily be trusted. So if you're right. a startup and you're storing your data on Google, What's to say if somebody had this really brilliant idea, Google doesn't take it and says, hey, you know, <laughs> we told you, here is the policy. You stored it on our platform. We can do with it what we will, right? So it creates some of these complexities. So, uh, you know, Google collects an average of 12 megabytes of data per person uh, per day. Uh, Apple is actually better. Apple is actually the good company that collects only six megabytes of data on you per day. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is all something. These are all things that will come together and will come to a head at some point. And we're already starting to see some of the ramifications of this blind trust of these cloud companies because they're phenomenal at making things very convenient, mm -hmm. but no one is really at the helm to look at what the uh, midterm to long-term ramifications are when people just blindly, uh, you know, uh, lean towards uh, uh, simplicity and convenience. Mm -hmm. and by the way, that's one of the reasons as a cloud security company, we don't store any customer data. It passes through us. We don't retain anything. So that's one of the commitments we've made so that, uh, you know, companies uh, can feel comfortable that we are contractually committed to not retaining their data and they can use our platform without feeling that, uh, boy, here's another layover from a compliance standpoint or from a privacy standpoint, somebody that's, you know, holding on to my data. And, you know, I have to deal with the whole trail of where all of my data resides, uh, especially now that, you know, your data could be in the cloud, it could be in a SaaS service, it could be in a data center, it could be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at an API provider or you know, it's all and over the place. That's probably another reason. And I know we've talked about it before, Gabe, but that's another reason why a lot of organizations struggle with going to a SaaS pro product because of that same reasoning, because they don't want to store their data 
um, in a place that they don't actually uh, control or yeah. know where it is. I feel like there's a lot of misinformation in that topic still. Uh, a lot of times there is a level of comfort that these organizations simply need to get to because um, ultimately the data is in the cloud. And so it's already there. If your business operations are using cloud services to empower the business, then as a security uh, team, as, as, a, as a security leader, you really should be trying to help the business equally uh, leverage their abilities to move fast in the cloud while secure in the cloud. And that means being part of the cloud, not, uh, not, not taking this, uh, this approach that we can't have security controls or products in the cloud when that's where your business operates is in the cloud. So yeah, um, you know, to your point, uh, if you look back to cloud services, cloud compute, Every IT organization and every executive team within organization said no. And users looked at them and said, you know, hey, you know what? It solves the problem for me. And unless you're going to give me the tools and the agility that we need to deliver, then we're just going to ignore you. But I agree uh, with your comment, Gabe, that uh, uh, you need to be aware and you need to know what your data flows look like. And right now, when you're so focused on all, having all the different tools and all the different technologies and all the different relationships and all the different uh, products, you're focused more on uh, housekeeping uh, products rather than doing uh, some of these other more complex things. And, and that's where the inequality in cybersecurity comes in. That's, uh, and, and one of the key things that I emphasize on and I remind myself on a daily basis is that we need to democratize uh, cybersecurity because the cities and J.P. Morgan's, I mean, J.P. Morgan has a $600 million a year cybersecurity budget, right? But it, not many organizations have that. When you start getting into mid-tier or smaller organizations, uh, they don't have anywhere near those resources. And that's where I think our platform uh, really, really is focused on making cybersecurity simple so that uh, organizations don't have to be a Fortune 100 company to be able to have effective cybersecurity. Because right now, every mid-tier and every small organization is managing risk along with managing cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to... We wanna, have a shift in that where they can feel comfortable that there's simplicity there, there's sustainability there, there's affordability there, but it's uh, uh, it's effective too. Why do you think there's such a disconnect between the that that situation with the mid-tier and small organizations? You have to look back at the history of how we got here, and maybe I'm aging myself a little bit with it. <laughs> but uh, th there was a time where, um, you know, when I started my first ISP, um, you didn't have firewalls. 
you didn't have, you, you know, you just had a router connected to a bunch of sun pizza boxes and, you know, everybody, some systems didn't even have passwords, right? You just logged in. So people started accessing. So people put in router filters. Then uh, people started creating half-open sessions and being able to get past the router filters. That's where the stateful firewall came in. Then people started compromising uh, open ports. That's where the intrusion detection and subsequently intrusion prevention came in. People were watching porn at work. That's where URL filtering came in. So we have been, over the course of the last 25, 30 years, gradually identifying individual problems and developing individual technologies and solutions for those problems. And, you know, hence the cybersecurity categories. But we have really evolved past that. We've got a pretty good sense of what the foundational security elements are. And by the way, that's one of the key things we really focus on is making sure we deliver all of the security fundamentals, right? So uh, because we've been so product-centric and so category-centric, where you buy one product to solve one problem in one category, um, the complexity has been... Uh, overwhelming because over time you had more uh, vulnerabilities and more vulnerabilities and more vulnerabilities that translated into more products and uh, having to hire really hard to find experts and uh, having to pay top dollar to the point that most organizations, most security organizations are spending the vast majority of their time in product housekeeping than they are in some of the more uh, uh, complex tasks of cybersecurity. So that, that's one of the reasons there's been so much complexity. So if we can do a consolidation and be able to have a single cloud-delivered platform that can deliver uniform and consistent security for your devices and IOTs and users and branches and uh, third-party vendors, as well as be able to secure your applications in the cloud or a SaaS or in a data center or a co-location facility, then uh, that level of simplification removes the need for all of these integration and the products and the vendor management and all of that stuff. Now you can really focus on the more effective part of cybersecurity. Right. No, it's great. <clears throat> and I think this is a good transition into, you know, if you're an organization or even just thinking about yourself or uh, your organization, but if you only had a hundred dollar budget to use on security and privacy, where would you start? Uh, I think, uh, you know, earlier on, I said that uh, one of the challenges uh, with uh, cybersecurity uh, and even with SASE that eliminates complexity uh, is that it does not address the cost challenge. So uh, one of the key things that as an industry we need to do, and, and I tell you, as 
uh, at Accredo, we are working very hard to do this, is to introduce a new cost structure for cybersecurity, something that is sustainable, especially when you're dealing with the uh, prolific volume of purpose-built, resource-challenged, uh, uh, you know, 20-year-life technologies like IoT and OT are factored in. So I think um, the utility model that is cost-effective is, uh, in my mind, addresses the cost challenge. So that you don't have to buy products and implement it because a hundred bucks doesn't get you anywhere with the product approach to cybersecurity. Maybe you can buy, uh, you know, a Norton or a Symantec for one system, but the one system is not the problem you need to solve. You need to solve for the uh, infrastructure and the diversity of technologies that you have in the diversity of places you have them in. So I would say that utility model gets us a lot closer to that than, uh, than uh, the product-centric approach to cybersecurity. And uh, that, that has been a key driver for us at Accredo. That's one of the key things. Simplicity, uh, uh, sustainability, and cost effectiveness are really three of the pillars that we have built our platform on because more and more uh, organizations are uh, finding themselves um, with the more and more diverse technologies in many different places. And for all of those folks who say, well, the IoT revolution didn't happen, the IoT revolution happened, and but it was a quiet revolution. And now you've got all of these purpose-built technologies. Anything you can imagine is now a connected device and more and more on a daily basis. How do you yeah. secure those? So enterprise technologies don't necessarily address that. So what did the industry do? Hey, we got yet another product for you to buy to secure your IoTs. And these are the kind of things that we want to change by virtue of having a platform that can, that can do all of these diverse technologies without having to introduce a new cost structure. Awesome. Before we move on to our final uh, segment here, is there anything that you'd like to bring up that we didn't talk about? Uh, no, uh, I think I kind of covered a pretty broad. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. I think I think we we covered a lot here, and I I think the listeners will definitely appreciate it, and uh, I know I did because I learned I learned some stuff here. So thank you. So let's go, let's have a little fun. Not that security and privacy and all the seriousness isn't fun, but I like to have some, some fun questions and we'll start off light and you can give us a short answer. You don't have to go too deep into it, but you know, what's been your proudest moment in your career in security? Um, when I uh, testified to Congress on the warrantless wiretapping mechanism. That yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Well, it was also the uh, scariest. <laughs> uh, I, I really thought that my career, my technology career was, uh, 
was uh, done with after that. I was like, well, I got to go to Apex Technical School and learn HVAC or something. Like that. <laughs> well, that's a good thing that that didn't go downhill from there. But yeah. if anything, I'm, it made you stronger. On the bright side, air conditioners are also IoT devices now too. So you would have just come full circle. Either. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right, so I got some fun fun questions here. Let's start with the the most comp like uh, this is this is obvious here with the pandemic and everything. Let's talk about toilet paper. Are you more of an under guy or an over guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to warn you before you answer. There is only one right answer because we live in a society. So please think carefully. Uh, under guy and over guy. I I think I need more uh, elaboration on this. when you so when you the, when you put the roll the toilet paper roll on the little the the other roll the inner roll. Do you do you face the roll upwards so that when you when you're dispensing the teepee it flows from the top? <laughs> oh, no, I, or do you do it I, underwards I, so it flows downward. from the bottom? It's facing downwards. Okay. Ah, all right. Yeah. See, so we're know. over. I'm going to tell you, there's two types of people in this world. Those that want to see the world burn. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm guilty. I'm an over. I'm an over as well. So it sounds like Gabe's an under. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Um, So if you could morph into two animals, which ones would you choose and what would you be called? It's a hard one. I have notions of wonder twins uh, uh, in my head. Um, (laughs) Uh, two two animals uh, and morph them together. So, like for uh, example, a tiger and a lion would be a liger. Yeah. Well, I would say a lion and a monkey have the power of a lion and the agility of a monkey. And what would Lunky? you call it? Lunky. Lunky. <laughs> So these questions reveal a lot about a person. You, my friend, want to see the world burn. <laughs> a lion and a monkey. That's, hey, that's interesting. I like the lion for sure. So what is one fun fact that you'd like to share that uh, not too many people know about you? Uh, well, me and my son are building a vehicle to drive to the Arctic Circle. Wow. He turns, uh, when he turns, uh, 13, when he's awesome. his teenagers. Yeah. Most parents don't even want to let him get a license. You're, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. That's something you don't hear every day either. So that's really neat. Does he, is he, so how old is he right now? He's nine. He's okay. Nine going on 10 and uh, he's, um, He's awesome mechanic. I mean, I throw the wrenches at him and say, go do this, especially when you're dealing with a nine-year-old and you have to get into tight places. Oh, man, you can't beat that. Uh, <laughs> I would recommend a nine-year-old in everybody's toolbox. Uh, so I'm hearing you say tight places. Uh, child labor laws need to have an exclusion for tiny hands. <laughs> well, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm covered with the uh, parent-child. Uh, parental exemption rule to yeah. the child labor laws. That's a good but, one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's, uh, he's uh, studying to uh, get his ham radio license. Uh, first aid, uh, mechanics, uh, navigation, uh, 
So oh, that's neat. we've got a we've got a little bit of uh, ways to go, but uh, we're making good progress. That's yeah, awesome. it sounds like it. Yeah, very awesome. So this one's kind of serious. Do you eat or drink your soup? Um, we're a startup. You chug it down <laughs> and get back to work. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, so you chug it. Um, so one last one here. If if you were in the middle of a, a zombie apocalypse and you could only use one item from a bathroom to protect yourself, what would you use? Razor. All right. That could get pretty up close and personal. I like it, though. Awesome. Well, Bobak, thank you so much for for joining the show, Privacy Please, with Gabe and I, and just wanted to thank you for taking the time to to talk with us. And this is always a pleasure for me because I, I don't have 20 plus years of experience in this industry like Gabe, and it's a, it's a great way for, for me to learn and for our listeners as well. Um, so thank you so much for what you do and for what your company's trying to do, and just glad that uh, you were able to come on the show. Pleasure's mine as well. Even with all my years in the industry, folks like yourselves that are always coming up with new innovative ways to solve problems, such as you know introducing SASE into the, the market, et cetera. Fabulous to have a chance to talk with you. So thanks again for coming on the show. Before we go, is there any place that uh, our listeners can follow up with you, maybe check you out? Are you on social media, some websites? We'll put these in the show notes as well. Where can we find you? Yeah, uh, they can uh, contact us at acredo.io, A-C-R-E-T-O.io. And they can find us on acredo.io on LinkedIn uh, and uh, acredo.io on Twitter. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Pleasure was ours. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week and to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I know that there are millions of other shows and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends, and then make maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ... Can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week. <laughs>